0: today 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast hello
1: everybody and welcome to episode 551 of the Day podcast my name is and i am a writer and editor for packer report you can always follow me on twitter at nfl Today, I have a very special guest who needs no introduction, but I'm going to intro him anyway. He is the co-founder of Cheesehead TV, one of the co-hosts of the insanely popular Packer Transplants, and one of the true greats in our industry. My guest today is Aaron Nagler. Aaron, when you have some of your top guests on, I know you call them legendary for coming on. You are legendary for coming on the Packer Day podcast today. I insanely appreciate it. How the heck are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. You're insane. I can't believe you've done this 550 plus times Corey and i struggle to do like 100 so 500 plus is is pretty damn impressive see here's the
1: thing aaron is i've done like 10 of them and no (laughs) no no
0: you have marshaled the forces i know you're not you don't appear on every one of them but this is very much your baby so yes it's. it's I, i have to give you props
1: I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it tremendously. And I have a tremendous group of people that, uh, uh you know, write the ship right along with me. So I appreciate all of them, but I appreciate you recognizing that as well. Uh, Aaron, I know, uh, I've been excited to talk to you all week. I want to pick your brain so incredibly much, but we would be remiss not to open, uh, with the incredibly tragic news today of Kobe Bryant's passing away as well as his daughter. Uh, and it sounds like there were nine people at, as of last updates, uh, on the helicopter that crashed today. Um, this was something that uh, hit the entire sports world. It uh, affected, uh, you know, I'll, I'll bring it around to the the Packers a little bit since this is a, a Packers podcast. Uh, today in the in the Pro Bowl, uh, Devontae Adams caught the touchdown. Uh, he celebrated with a dunk in the end zone to, to kind of celebrate the life of, of Kobe Bryant and pay his respects, if you will. Um, Darius Smith had the the sack and fumble in the Pro Bowl. Uh, him and his, his teammates uh, celebrated with kind of the the classic Kobe Bryant fadeaway jump shot. So uh, there were a ton of uh, notes from Packers Twitter today, included David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, uh, and uh, Brett Favre amongst them. But uh, this was a major news story. It is a tragic news story, not only with the passing of Kobe Bryant, but obviously with everyone else that was on that, and including his daughter as well, which is just beyond heartbreaking. Um, I don't want to obviously dwell on this too much. I know that uh, people tune into a Packers-themed podcast to escape uh, some of the the reality that is in this world, and not to dwell on it. But uh, like I said, I think it'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch base on it a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't have a lot to add other than I know what he meant to so many people. Obviously, your heart goes out to the family. And, uh, you know, I was never a huge fan, but I know people are monster fans. And I understand what it means when someone that you admire, uh, look up to, etc., and touched your life in ways that you could never explain. I, I understand that feeling. So clearly, it's very sad. And as you said, it affected a lot of people connected to the Packers on the Packers. The guy was an absolute legend, a giant in, in not only the NBA, in, in basketball, but in sports in general, like you said, um, just absolutely heartbreaking. And I, I mostly feel for his wife and his remaining children.
1: Yeah, as, as the wife, the family, of course, you have kids, you have daughters, I have kids myself, that's that's just the, you know, every single time every new update came out, it was just the the absolute heartbreak of thinking how it was going to affect that family as a whole. Certainly one of the most popular people in the world, regardless of sports, uh, and his uh, loss will certainly be a huge miss uh, for the world as a whole, and uh, again, our hearts go out to everyone that was involved in that, and like you said, uh, the family of Kobe Bryant, especially. Um Let's move on. I know there's no great way to transition past that, but this is, again, a Packers-themed podcast. We want to focus on some of the things that are going on within the Packers world. And I do want to pick your brain. We are now one week removed from the the Packers season. We have a little bit of time to digest a little bit more. Uh, of course, not only the Packers lost, but the season as a whole, Aaron, I really want to get your rearview mirror take on the season now that it's behind us. Have you had a little bit of time to, you know, digest exactly what happened and what your kind of overall overarching thoughts are about the 13 and three, or I guess 14 and four season the Packers had?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a great ride, and it's funny because with a new head coach and tons of kind of new talent influx of talent on the roster, it was very different the last few years with McCarthy things had kind of ground down and become there was a malaise or what have whatever you want to call it but it was hard it was it was just hard to get through the seasons and this year was just a breath of fresh air and, and obviously you'll go throughout this off season we'll look at I, I haven't even done my year review yet like I always go down after the season and look at every game again I haven't even begun to do that. And usually I do it like right away. But for whatever reason, I really wanted to kind of just marinate in what the season was, which was just a rebirth, really. And to me, the ultimate takeaway is it's a great start. Did it end the way we wanted? Of course not. But I think and looking back, thinking back to where we were prior to this season, just say even after, you know, the the one month to go in the season firing of Mike McCarthy, Charting where, just emotionally, Packers fans were from that moment to now, it's been a complete rebirth. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't give Mark Murphy a, a shout out, right? Because yeah, absolutely. Think about where all the questions, all the uh, the the column inches, if you will, uh, the the pixels that were used up on questioning Mark Murphy's not only firing of Mark McCarthy, the timing of it. Deciding to separate the GM and and coach and have them both report to him uh, and then making the selection after only having one interview of each candidate, etc. Every single thing that was questioned of Mark Murphy, you have to kind of look back at it and think, okay, the initial return now it's not done. It's just one year. Lord knows early, early 10 years can turn very quickly. But early returns suggest that Mark Murphy knocked it out of the park.
1: Yeah, I think that's 100% correct and there are a lot of things that you hit on there that I want to touch base on quickly. First of all, you know, going back to to Mark Murphy and that hire of Matt LaFleur, I don't think it can be understated enough that was a bold hire. You know, nobody else was interviewing Matt LaFleur, at least as, as I recall. Right. I don't think anyone exactly. else was interviewing nope. him for head coach. That, that kind of it. came out of nowhere. You had the Josh McDaniels in there. You had the, uh, you know, guys like Jim Caldwell. You had the Saints offensive guys. You had a lot of people in there that was very, you know, very respected uh, that they could have went with. And in hindsight, that was a not only a bold decision, but certainly, especially after looking all at, at all the rookie coaches from a season ago, uh, certainly Matt LaFleur is the leader in the clubhouse for uh, smartest coaching hire of. Last season, so a lot of time to be played out, and we'll see where that goes. But that certainly was a bold hire, and certainly right now looks like the correct one. I'm with you. I have not no done no my uh, my season review quite yet. I have that coming up this week, so I'm I'm looking forward to doing that as well. But one of the things that I look back at prior to the season. Is I was trying to predict, you know, kind of how Green Bay would maybe get off to a strong start. And I, I go back and I look at the first month of that schedule and how potentially daunting that I thought that was at the time going to Chicago for your very first game as head coach uh, coming off a you know a Chicago team that was coming off of a, a playoff performance and a team that was expected really to win the division, then a home game against Minnesota. And if you were to lose that that initial game to the Bears, like most people were expecting that home game against Minnesota becomes tremendously important. You have a Broncos team that I thought was going to be better under Vic Fangio and that kind of knows the Packers offense very, very well. And then a tough Eagles playoff team uh, you know, at home as well. So that first month of the, th- the season, I thought was going to be incredibly important. And I think if you would have asked me at the time or told me at the time that the Packers would either be one in three in the first month of the season or 13 and three by the end of the season, I probably would have <laughs> right. bet pretty heavily that they met that three loss mark at the first month of the season. Uh, because of what was in front of them. So to go 13 and three overall, to make it one game before the Super Bowl, uh, I don't know how much more could possibly be expected. And the the last thing I'll say is the the big takeaway of all the, the comments from the end of the season from Matt LaFleur, or Brian Gutekunst, Aaron Rodgers, etc. I thought it, it maybe kind of flew under the radar a little bit and or maybe I just missed it. But uh, Aaron Rodgers made some mention that this is the season that made football fun again for him. And I think you mentioned it kind of at your initial, uh, you know, review there is that this was a breath of fresh air. It made it fun again. They were winning again. And kind of the rest along the way was a, a little bit gravy, if you will. So th- those were kind of my initial initial takeaways from it.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, you talk about that first month of the season, and I remember last offseason when when camp was kind of in full swing, you and I talked, we did podcasts, we did videos, what have you, I remember talking to fans about, okay, the, the offense is undoubtedly going to be a work in progress. That was a, a recurring theme during camp. Uh, Lafleur and Rogers both touched on that often, and fans were just beside themselves with, "Oh, well, you know, the 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 defense can't possibly carry this team." And that's not to say that you know it did the entire season. That clearly was not the case. But this idea that these preconceived notions that people have coming into a season can so quickly be blown up, and I think the first two weeks kind of did that for a lot of Packers fans. It reminded me and, you know, I fall into this just like anybody else. It reminded me that, you know, these guys who put together the team, Brian Goodkunst and his staff and uh, Matt LaFleur and his staff, etc., they're they're on such a different level when it comes to being able to diagnose what's in front of them, being able to understand what they're watching, say, not only in the, the coaches tape from the games, but or the preseason games even but like from camp practices or practices in general on a level that no one on the outside has any clue about so it's like each and every year there it's not it's people say it's a cliche but it's really not like you never know you never know like you said those first couple games could have gone the exact opposite way and the entire feeling around the early part of the year is totally different who knows where things end up at the end of the year uh, it just kind of reaffirmed and, and, and confirmed to me how you have to – every year is new, every year is a blank slate, and you've got to like savor what you're in each and every season. Because like I said, those last couple years with McCarthy, it had become rote. It had become we knew what to expect, and if even if we didn't reach the expected 10-6, and 11-5, whatever – that was a massive disappointment but just the slog of okay i know exactly what to expect i know exactly mccarthy's tendencies etc now i've got a new coach it shouldn't take a new coach to bring you somewhere uh with an nfl team that is oh my gosh it's brand new anything could happen that's what i love about this game that's what i love about this team and that was absolutely kind of reinforced this season
1: yeah, I think that's uh, that's 100% correct. And again, you even look at the 49ers as well. You know, they were coaching the Senior Bowl a season ago, and uh, they're you know on, on the path to potentially winning a Super Bowl this season. So things can change in an instant in the NFL. I think that's why everyone loves it so much. And that really brings a, a great point to transition. I know we've kind of touched base on the first season, and of course that uh, really uh, affects Matt Lafleur's first season as head coach as well. They kind of go hand in hand. Uh, but going back to that that first start of the season, I thought one of the real victories of this season for this Packers franchise franchise was, you know, getting on the right track in the, the the first quarter of the season, then picking up momentum, going 13 and three, going a game away from the conference championship, because if nothing else, this season to me accomplished that the players and Aaron Rodgers and this franchise has faith in Matt LaFleur and they have buy-in in Matt LaFleur. And what wherever that may lead the Packers going forward, uh whether that's to the promised land in a Super Bowl, whether that's to disappointment, we will, you know, only see going forward. But Matt Matt. Matt LaFleur has the ability to now implement what it is that he wants to implement because he has buy-in from the players in this franchise going into his second year as head coach. And that doesn't always happen. And we've seen coaches, you know, lose the team by the end of their, the first half of the season, much less the first season. To me, that is a major victory for this franchise in Matt LaFleur's first season.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree for the most part. I do wonder about the relationship between LaFleur and Rogers in the sense that Obviously, they enjoy working together. There's no doubt about that. This overblown, like, relationship kind of dissection that we saw all summer, that was way overdone. And, you know, Pro Football Talk made a cottage industry out of trying to make that into something. And I'm not suggesting anything around that vicinity. I will say, however, I I did find it interesting that heading into both San Francisco games, uh, the Chargers game, whatever – Games where if you looked at the opposing defense and it was very clear, just if you were completely devoid, removed from the game plan, like if you were any kind of relationship sense of being in the meeting rooms, what have you, it's it, beca- it was pretty clear that those games needed to be run heavy games, especially the NFC Championship game. After getting their ass kicked in week 12, we, we, they just could not come out and design a game plan Around Aaron Rodgers dropping back a number of times and trying to throw the ball over the yard, yet sure. that is what happened. So I do wonder: Is Lafleur able to? And maybe this is something that develops throughout their last these next couple of years. But is Lafleur able to say, Aaron, look, this can't be a game where you are the focal point of the offense. It has to be Aaron Jones, or it has to be someone else, because there's no. Reason in my mind that I can think of where Matt LaFleur, Luke Getzey, Nathaniel Hackett all sat down and said, you know what? We really need to let Aaron throw it 40 times in this game. Because that's what it looked like coming out of the gate in San Francisco last Sunday night. And to me, that is mind-boggling. So I am interested to see how that progresses going forward. Because don't forget the the talk last summer of we're creating the Packers offense. Well, what does that mean? It was a, a, a mashup of everything that Lafleur had learned throughout his time, not only in the NFL, but just as a coach in general, with what Aaron Rodgers, quote-unquote, felt comfortable with and enjoyed and liked out of his time with Mike McCarthy. I would say most of the stuff that they brought in from Rodgers' time with McCarthy was the stuff that really made them look like they were stubbing their toe on offense. And when they stuck with the Lafleur, Shanahan, McVay stuff, they seemed to get into a rhythm. That is completely guesswork on my part. It is absolutely just observational, but that is my guess.
1: And I agree with that, that assessment. And I do think some of the LaFleur stuff worked a lot better than uh, some of the stuff that you saw carry over from kind of the McCarthy years. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that LaFleur spoke about in having that transition is he wants Rodgers to feel comfortable, but of course he needs to kind of be in charge of that offense as well. So I know there's some give and take there. And that kind of transitions to my next question, which was, you know, we saw a lot of great. And of course the, the record was really the the proof in the pudding for the Packers this season. But this is a offensive minded head coach with the highest paid player in football at quarterback, a tremendously talented running back in Aaron Jones, one of the best receivers in football in Devontae Adams, tremendous swing tackles, a fantastic center, the highest paid tight end in football. And the list goes on, a tremendously young, talented left guard, a guy they just paid a ton of money for in Billy Turner at right guard. They have a lot invested in this offense, And at times it didn't look like a A lot of times it didn't look like a high powered offense. It would show flashes of it. Usually we'd maybe get one half of it uh, that we would see it, but we didn't always see it. What what does Matt LaFleur need to do in his second season? And and maybe you've made mention of it, feature Aaron Jones more, uh, but what does he need to do to kind of take that next step with this offense? And, you know, I guess to kind of piggyback off of that, because we've seen take Matt Nagy, for example, in Chicago, genius year one didn't look so great (laughs) year two. So things get things can, you know, catch up with you really quick if you're not evolving.
0: Well, and I think obviously the big difference there, obviously, is Travis
1: <laughs> Rogers. It's I
0: don't like, think, like, you know, so I, I don't worry about that so much as far as a regression. I do think it's interesting that for all the talk we heard last summer of tempo in and out of the huddle, et cetera, that never materialized. I mean, the yeah. sense of urgency not even I'm not even talking up-tempo slash two-minute drill, et cetera. Just no sense of urgency whatsoever on the offensive side of the ball. And to me, you know, LaFleur talked about it in the middle of the season. He talked about it again at the end of year press conference about, okay, well, this offseason, I think we're really going to get to the up-tempo stuff. It's something that we really didn't do this year. I was like, how? why did it take a whole year to kind of get that under your belt to, to – to employ that, I, to me that was weird. I don't, I don't, I don't, I guess I'm sure there's a reason. Um, to be solved by smarter heads than mine, but <laughs> you know that to me is such a could be such a potent art piece of the arsenal, especially with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. I, I just feel like that's that, that you're kind of fighting with one arm tied behind your back by not implementing it. And the second half is just kind of what I just talked about in regards to you got they have to lean more into the Shanahan McVay stuff. I mean, I think the perfect example of this offense and the dichotomy they're in was in that Seattle playoff game where in the first half where they featured, uh, Irvin quite a bit as both as a motion guy. And they gave him the ball a couple of times, et cetera. The, the jet motion, the orbit motion, they were moving the ball up and down the field. You get to the second half, they literally come out in four wide static single back, Spread formation, quarterback and shotgun. It was McCarthy all over again, yeah. and they go three and out. They come out again. They barely move the ball. Like it just seems so obvious that the stuff that they brought in from from you know whatever Lef- wherever Lafleur drew his stuff up from, and Hackett and Getzy, et etc., as opposed to the oh here's the spread stuff that Rodgers is comfortable with from his time with Mike. That I'm not saying shoot it into the sun but it needs to be utilized a whole hell of a lot less because the, the other stuff seemed to be a, a lot more effective.
1: Could not agree more. However, the one thing I will say, they finally went uh, high speed up tempo on third and three against the 49ers. And that was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, and right? that was yeah. So they obviously have a lot of work to do, not only implementing it more, but maybe doing a little bit better as well. Uh, but this was uh, you know, kind of transitions into the topic that I really wanted to, to pick your brain on. Cause I think it's a really interesting one. We saw, so much of the analytics uh, go into this season, and, and so many people. Uh, there's the the Ben Baldwin's with the Aaron Rodgers analytics. There's uh, some of the the DVOA where the maybe the Packers weren't expected to be quite as good. You had uh, some of the point differential analytics come out where they were more of a nine to ten win team. To the Packers were the most fraudulent thirteen and three team on the planet, <laughs> and all of those sort of things that we saw. Kind of come out through the course of the year, and th- just this week, uh, the Ringers, uh, Riley McCady or McCaddy, I'm not exactly sure, wrote an article, uh, and the title is, and I quote, "The Packers' crushing NFC Championship loss is a victory lap for NFL analytics." So uh, the Packers apparently lost in that NFC Championship game to NFL analytics. But I do want to pick your brain here and see, is is was there something to it all along, where you know maybe the analytics were right and this team wasn't quite as good, and it finally caught up to them. And uh, they lost in the NFC Championship because of some of those deficiencies, or is this just kind of there's just smoke? There's really no fire to it, and uh, yeah, yeah, there's nothing to it. I'm curious your thoughts on this.
0: <sighs> okay, I, I got to be careful here because I upset <laughs> I upset a lot of people with my rant on uh, against PFF and Ben Baldwin uh, on transplants a couple weeks ago. So I'll just say this. Of course, there's something to analytics. I mean, to to be dismissive of analytics is ridiculous because obviously, as a long time, long time, early days reader of Football Outsiders, I I, I absolutely have buy in on analytics. But this this idea that Ben Baldwin is crunching numbers in a spreadsheet and looking at Aaron Rodgers and then drawing up as his quote unquote examples on film uh, plays that completely lack context and actually have nothing to do with why the plays are unsuccessful, but he's using them to try and paint Rodgers in a bad light and quote unquote prove his uh, theories. No one needed to look at anything other than the defensive front for the 49ers and their defensive tendencies to know that the Packers needed to run the ball and get them out of that cover three shell. The Packers didn't do that. They played right into their hands, the 49ers hands again. That's not a victory for analytics. It's a bad plan by Lafleur and Rogers and whoever. But this idea that, oh, well, the numbers told us X, Y, or Z, anybody watching the 49ers front could have told you that. Where I draw like the line with analytics is when, and I understand, you say analytics, people come to that word with whatever their experience is. So right. if you're an analytics devotee, you have a very different idea of what you're talking about as opposed to someone who's always hated analytics, says it's the dumbest stuff ever. And yeah, you tell him analytics are dumb. No, I'm not saying analytics are dumb. But why do you why why do you do that? Why do you watch the games? When Ben Baldwin tweets out the Minnesota Vikings are a better <laughs> team than the Packers after the Packers have curb stomped them twice, the second time in their own building after turning the ball over three times in the first half, just shut up. What are you even doing here? What, why are you watching football? What is the point if the results don't matter at all? I'm not saying that they're like, okay, yes. would You play 10 times with another team. and oh, Team A and Team B play 10 times. Team B win seven times. The other team win three times, etc. Sure, absolutely. In a theoretical universe that doesn't exist, absolutely. <laughs> but you know what? We live here on Earth. As, as they said in Annie Hall, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I have to go. I have an appointment on planet Earth. You know, <laughs> it, on Earth, the Packers kicked the Vikings ass twice. They're the better team. Now, might it be different next year? Absolutely. But this year, 2019, give me a break with the on paper. They were, I don't. The, the Packers won twice. They're the better team. So yeah. that's where I get frustrated with. I, what I saw actually happen in this world physically in front of me doesn't matter my analytics are more important, that's bullshit.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think that, like you said, the frustrating part is it's one thing to, to paint a picture with analytics and show what your models are showing and say, here's what I think may happen going forward. Uh, to say that something is for sure going to happen or that, uh, you know, even once it's already happened, like you mentioned, and that was uh, that exact uh, tweet was something I was going to bring up as well, uh, that the, the Vikings were better than the Packers, even though the Packers played them twice and the Packers won twice. Uh, I think that's where it gets to a level of ridiculousness. And there are, uh, you know, intangible elements to the game of football that are in play, like you said, you know, a, a team might be predicted to win 99 out of 100 times, but we watch because we want to see that hundredth time show up. Sometimes, you know, so uh, I just think that there's so much at play there, and I do think analytics is, like you said, a part of the equation, and I, I like to. Uh, view football with as many different lenses as I possibly can. I love reading the analytics stuff to see what they're saying, and I love what, you know reading the the Ben Baldwin's and the Dusty Evleys and all the great people who do so much tremendous film work. Your analysis, I love hearing the the people in the locker room and what the the Packers are actually saying. I love seeing what actually happens on Sunday, just the the, the general eye test. And when I put all of those pieces together, I feel like I'm a little bit more educated and can kind of know what's going on. Uh, but if you just try to use one of those pieces to tell the entire story, I think you're doomed before it starts. Um, and I think that's where it can somewhat get off-putting uh, in, in some of those situations is to say that the analytics is the be-all end-all. Well, uh, you know, a lot of people would make a lot of money in Vegas if you would just say, well, the team with the better DVOA this week is gonna win. It, it just simply doesn't work this week that, that way, excuse me. But one thing I will say... And I think what happened here, and this is just totally conjecture on my point, with, with somebody like a, a Ben Baldwin, is I think he spent a ton of time, effort, and energy building this model, putting these analytics together. And for the most part, the the you know, well, I'll use the quarterback one for example here. The top quarterbacks at the top of his list were the ones that were supposed to be there. And the the bad quarterbacks at the bottom of this list were the ones that were supposed to be there. And then Aaron Rodgers was this kind of uh, you know, one that maybe didn't seem to fit the model somewhere in the middle of the thread. And everyone's saying, Well, Rodgers is the greatest quarterback back of all time he can't be in the middle of the thread so much so that he almost had to start defending himself and then he started getting victories when Rodgers didn't play well and then he like you said he used plays out of context and tried to be film analytics guy to or film review guy to to back up his analytics because he needed that victory to really prove that his model was correct and I think that's where things went downhill a little bit but uh, I'll let you speak on that but I, I'm, I'm 100% with you I, I think you can't tell the whole story with just the analytics.
0: Well, that's I think you just nailed it on Baldwin because that is a billion percent what happened. And look, like you said, analytics are a useful tool. They can be if utilized correctly. And I think John Harbaugh is a perfect example of that. That's a guy who takes that input, applies it to the team he is coaching and tries to figure out what is advantageous for him in that moment and what he can ignore and or dismiss. He has stated very publicly Yes, I listen to my analytics guys. I listen to them in game. And there are times I tell them to golf and I tell them <laughs> I'm going with my gut. That's football. Because as you just mentioned a little while ago, there are things that happen on a football field. There are pers- interpersonal relationships on each and every play between the the offensive lineman, between the wide receiver and the tight end, between the relationship between the, the running back and the quarterback and pass protect. There are so many things that happen each and every down that will never, ever be able to be accounted for. Like Brian Belaga's famous rant about PFF giving him bad grades on plays where Aaron Rodgers has literally told him to get beaten inside so he can escape outside. Those are the things that analytics will never capture. And the people in the analytics community seem to want to completely dismiss that. And look, again, I think it's a very useful tool. But this idea that, We're trying to like they're not they would say they're not, but they seem to be trying to suck all the humanity out of the game when the humanity is what makes it great. 100%
1: 100% it's what makes football great and as somebody who uh, you know goes out and, and grades all the different plays in all the games I, you know I've said this multiple times my grades are not the be all end all of what you know football is about or what's going to happen in the future it's a best guess based off of what I see on the tape and I enjoy doing it and I think it adds value and I've seen certain results you know happen in the future or you know players that didn't grade well you know end up not being on the team but it doesn't mean that again it's the be all end all and I think when people start believing that you know their specific model is the the way the truth and the light I, I think that's where it just starts getting a little bit cloudy but we got a lot to cover i want to uh, pick your brain on a couple different things uh first of all mike Patton returning right move oh <laughs> well, that's a 180 um yeah. mike not, transitions are not my thing aaron you know much better you're, you're all good
0: oh no we just yell and then we're just <laughs> keep going. um right move I, you know i i gotta say and i said this the day that the news broke and you know i had my daily chat Uh, i understand both sides emotionally i was ready for the guy to be gone uh but i get standing back looking at the totality of the work and thinking if you're matt lafleur all right it's my first year i know they said they really, really thought highly of this guy they wanted me to keep him around i kept him around where i have where i struggle is A, he was handed a huge amount of capital, whether draft and or free agency, to improve his side of the ball. Now, that was a necessity because they didn't have a whole lot of talent over on that side. But then couple that with the inability, I don't know if it was a willingness, a lack of willingness, but an inability to adjust to what Kyle Shanahan was doing last Sunday night. That's a red flag to me. All of that said, though, they were a top 10 scoring defense. Uh, they did a lot of things very well, uh, including taking the ball away and, you know, defending the red zone, which is wh- how you become a good scoring defense. And they did and they did improve as the year goes on. And that's where my hope is In the sense that clearly those first three weeks, they were gangbusters. And then things started to falling, up, started falling apart. Mostly, I think, you can draw that line to Raven Green getting injured. I think that's through a lot of the sub-package stuff that Pettin likes, uh, kind of out of whack. They had a lot of guys coming in and out. They poo-pooed. I asked both LaFleur and Petten about this, and they both poo-pooed it, but I still think this is there's something to this. The the lack of communication really hurt them after Raven went out because that's when you started to see week after week, explosive play after explosive play. Mm-hmm. That's when things started really kind of getting dire but then things improved they they coalesced they obviously savage was out for a bit and then he came back as the stretch happened down down november and december they seem to they seem to improve both in regards to not allowing so many explosive plays and they really fixed their run defense up until sunday night so you couple that together and i think okay i get keeping him around for one more year And I also understand that he's, you know, with Blake Martinez as your inside linebacker, when you're playing that much sub, I get you're, you're playing kind of at a deficit. Because Blake has far outplayed his draft status, but no one would ever mistake him for a stud on the inside. All of that said, next year is put up or shut up time for Patton. There is zero question about that.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's gonna be a massive uh season for Mike Patton and the defense upcoming and I am with you. I, you know, I'm not uh opposed to having a strong take one one way or the other in any given situation. I did not have a strong take one way or the other on on Mike Patton coming back. The the gut reaction, like you said, following that San Francisco game was like you said, emotional and one of being like, Yeah, I'm I'm ready for something different because make no mistake, you know, Mike Patton, you know, got it handed to him in that specific game. Kyle Shanahan was two, three, four steps ahead the the vast majority of that game and I I know that they didn't have necessarily the the defensive lineman next to, to Kenny Clark to to slow down some of that running game, but there was not the adjustments that were needed either. So uh, that was my initial emotional reaction. But um, I did like some of the things I thought he overachieved in 2018, even though the, the numbers weren't there. I thought with what I he agree, had, I yeah. very
0: much agree. Yes, um, I, thought, and I think he, he was really kind of fighting with one hand tied behind his back. It was big bad. time.
1: Big time, and I thought to an extent he may be underachieved a little bit at, at times this season. But there were some of those uh, injury circumstances, the the limitations of maybe a, a you know a Dean Lowry to an extent or a Tyler Lancaster, Blake Martinez in the middle of the defense. I'm hoping they shore that up a little bit, but uh, it's going to be really interesting. And like I said, I don't have I don't have a, a great feel one way or the other. I know the cynic would say that you know some of that that stretch run uh, that looked really great was against the Dwayne Haskins and Trubisky's and Cousins. And that's. And-
0: that's the caveat. Right. Yeah. You know,
1: David Blau, you, when you know, so when yeah,
0: when, but, uh, when the Carolina Panthers come in with their backup quarterback and throw the ball over the yard, you wonder you do wonder. I totally get that.
1: Yeah, there's concerns there. But I, I did see improvements and and I do think there's some some strong things to build on. And it seems like the defensive players like playing for him. So I was more than willing to give it another year. But I, I wouldn't have been upset either if they moved in a different direction um speaking of kind of some of those deficiencies uh you know green bay is obviously going to have this offseason to try to improve both internally with some of the younger players getting better but potentially take a look on the outside Uh, i know you had mentioned in a tweet earlier that uh, maybe nick kytkowski from the bears could be somebody at inside linebacker Uh, i'm curious as to what your biggest needs are for
0: the packers heading into this offseason i mean inside linebacker to me is a number one and i know people have talked about wide receiver etc and clearly They will go and find offensive weapons this offseason. I don't think there's any question there. Uh, But to me, inside linebacker, because of the fact that it's not a deep class, at wide receiver for the draft, this is one of the deepest classes we've seen in the modern era. Definitely the deepest in in a number of years. I think there will be plenty of opportunities there. To me, inside linebacker is a number one because, as we just saw Sunday night, if you don't have some kind of dynamic presence inside, and as John Madden has said throughout time and memoriam, you've got to be strong up the middle. They've got Kenny Clark. They've got a decent back end in, in Savage and Amos. I think Savage is only going to get better, uh, but they have got a gaping hole in the middle of their defense, and they've got to fix that. I think, obviously, at wide receiver, they've got Devontae. Lazard came on. They need to keep adding pieces, but it's there's nowhere near the kind of complete... L- just gaping hole that there is at inside linebacker.
1: Yeah, the middle of the defense is what I mentioned as well, and I focused a little bit more on getting some help to Kenny Clark. Uh, maybe most importantly, because if Kenny Clark were to go down with an injury, I think they would be completely screwed up the middle of that defense, but at the same token, assuming Blake Martinez isn't back, right now you're going with Oren Burks and Raven Green uh, in the inside, and that's certainly not enough. I don't know that Ty Summers and, and some of those guys are ready to take that next step, so uh, I think that they're, they're going to have to obviously reload at that position if Blake Martinez isn't back. Even if he is back, I still think they need an athletic playmaker next to him because i haven't seen enough from oren burks yet to think that he has the ability to make that jump so oh
0: man if he was going to make that jump it would have happened this year i think i'm sorry i think he's a a really good special teams player but man you're you're using a premium day two pick on a special teams player i don't think so they that's what i that's what i mean when i talk about they have got to fix that they that hole is a predominant uh i don't i don't see burks stepping up in any way shape or form next year
1: I'm 100% with you. I wanna let, Let's go kind of lightning round the rest of the way. I'll say a name, and, and you let me know if they're going to be on the roster to start next season. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Brian Bulaga.
0: Not on the roster.
1: Wow. All right. I'm going to have to pick your brain on that one I, in a second. I,
0: I just can't believe they're going to pay him.
1: That, that, that could very well be true. Mason Crosby. On the roster. All right. Jimmy Graham.
0: Not on the roster.
1: Lane Taylor. Not on the roster. Blake Martinez. Not on the roster. Jake Kumaro. Not on the roster. Geronimo Allison. Not on the roster. Marquez Valdez-Scantling. On the roster. All right. Kyler Fackrell. Not on the roster. Mercedes Lewis. On the roster. Tremont Williams. Not on the roster. And the most important one, Tim Boyle. (laughs) Uh,
0: Probably on the roster? I think he's on the roster. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what they, we'll see what they do at quarterback <laughs> in the draft. Uh, so uh, but, but I'm going to go with on the roster.
1: All right, perfect. That's the right answer. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I do want to pick your brain a little bit. I know you mentioned maybe the the salary, but Brian Bulaga, you think you legitimately think, or at least you're you know hypothesizing at this point, not on the roster, huh?
0: I mean, okay. I thought Pete Doherty had a really good column at PackersNews.com, looking at you know the decision they made to let T.J. Lang walk. Clearly, TJ played another year, year and a half. His body finally gave out, although he did retire because of concussions. They were still other nagging injuries going on. Nobody watching the Packers over the last few years or last decade is unfamiliar with the idea that Bulaga is a bit of, you know, Darth Vader at this point. He's more machine now, than man, you know, (laughs) he is put together by duct tape. And it is always, always better to let go of a guy a year too early than a year too late. I also can't remember the last time they paid an offensive lineman, or you know, kind of pretty much anybody, a third contract in Green Bay. Sure. Uh, there's zero question that Brian absolutely stepped up to the plate this year. Started all 16 games. Was available for for way more snaps than he probably ever has been, at least for years on end. It's just if you've got Veldeer in your back pocket, I know he's set to be a free agent, but if you can get him on a one-year deal and then draft somebody, I'd much rather go that route than pay whatever. Because, look, that's the other thing. This is a two-way street. Belaga knows if he does hit the market, he is going to get PAID paid. Some team is going to pay him a ridiculous amount of money to come be their right tackle. There is just not that many great right tackles out there, and he is a great right tackle when he's on the field. The the Packers just can't afford, with everything lining up, I mean, A number one being got to pay Kenny Clark, but everything after that, I just can't imagine them handing out a significant amount of cap space to Brian Bullock.
1: I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Aaron, but uh, according to my, my timeline, everyone that's a free agent is going to take a hometown discount this season.
0: That's what I've heard. Yes. Yeah. So it it should work. My Twitter feed seems to agree with yours. Yes.
1: (laughs) We'll see what happens, but I think that is going to be the the main interesting one to take a look at. All right. Last couple of thoughts. Any Super Bowl prediction uh, coming up for next Sunday?
0: Uh, I want, you know, I don't know, if, I don't know who's gonna win, but I know who I want to win, and that's the Chiefs. I really want Andy Reid to get a Super Bowl ring. Awesome. I think he's one of the best coaches we've seen in the modern era. I think he he has been done a great disservice because of, you know, some of it his his own making, the the time management stuff, etc. Some of it is because, you know, he had a quarterback that threw up in the Super Bowl, etc. Whatever, but. He is one of the best coaches we've seen, and I really want him to get a ring. And that's not to discount what the 49ers have done. I think Kyle is a great coach. I think they have a, they've put together a tremendous squad, although drafting in the top 10 number of years in a row absolutely helps in that regard. But there is zero doubt that it's going to be a great game. I just think I really want Andy Reid to get a Super Bowl ring. And I think when it comes down to it, I don't think the Chiefs are going to be – the doormat that the Packers were in the running game, I think Garoppolo is going to have to make some plays. And if we're talking, okay, you've got two quarterbacks that have to make plays between Mahomes and Garoppolo. Give me Mahomes.
1: Yeah, it's one of the most exciting, uh, you know, non-Packers Super Bowls that, I, that I'm looking forward to in a long time. I just think it's – you have this video game offense with the Chiefs against this all-around team of the 49ers, and I think it's going to be a really fun, well-coached game. And, uh, you know, even if the 49ers were to get a big lead, you know, the, the Chiefs I was just going to
0: say, remember, yeah. like, that feeling on Sunday night when it's 17 nothing, even 24 nothing, and you're like, oh, it's dear. not safe. Like, not – well, no, but, like, with the Packers, I'm thinking – Ugh, you know, they haven't, you know, they haven't shown anything this year that's going to make me think, yeah, they're going to score 30 unanswered points. Right, no, with exactly. With the Chiefs, I had a buddy who's, uh, I used to work with the BR a long time ago, Cam, who who messaged me during the first quarter of the Texans playoff game. The Chiefs were down big early in the first quarter. He's like, Aaron, I need to hear a lot of ball game left. And I said, dude, you guys sneeze and put up 21 points. Like, right. this is nothing. It's like with the Chiefs, Yes, no lead is safe. I that with the Packers it was very different this year. But yeah, with Mahomes, Andy Reid, all the track stars they have an offense, even if the 49ers get out to a big lead early, you know it's still a ball game. Yeah, it is
1: going to be. And I think that's why it's so exciting. And I'm going to go with 49ers, but uh, we'll see what happens. I think either team can win it pretty well, not easily, but I think either team could win and it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, We're going to have to have uh, another podcast where I can uh, uh, pick your brain on on Rise of Skywalker versus Last Jedi because I have a a lot of uh, thoughts on that, but uh, I think we're probably uh, out of time here a little bit. I do want to pump up uh, final transplants of the season tomorrow. You and Corey, 4 p.m. Lambo time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, what do you got on docket for uh, for you and Corey tomorrow?
0: Yeah, Monday night we'll be uh, recapping the year, looking ahead, uh, pretty much just giving thanks for uh, a great season. Uh, really, kind of exulting in the idea that this is just the beginning. Matt Lafleur seems to be the right man for the job. Uh, just an overcat, you know, an overview of the year and uh, maybe a surprise or two. We'll see. But transplants. Five o'clock Eastern, four o'clock Lambeau, Packers. It's all it's all there. That's what that's what we do.
1: I cannot wait. And from uh, somebody who's uh, had a surprise this year of you know the head coach of the Green Bay Packers on transplants. You know if there's going to be. I a don't service, know
0: what you're talking about. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Oh, we'll uh, see. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We'll see what uh, happens. uh, And I should clarify, I said tomorrow, but obviously as people are listening to this, uh, it's going to be on Monday. So that'll be today. You know, hopefully you're listening to this on Monday morning, make sure to check it out. It's going to be on Monday, January 27th, the final transplants of the season again with Corey and Aaron, 4 p.m. Lambo time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Aaron, thank you so incredibly much. Any other final thoughts or anything you'd like to plug on the way out?
0: No, that's it. I mean, I can't thank you enough for a inviting me on and b keeping pack a day going. This is incredible. The idea that you have done uh, yeoman's work, but being the shepherd, so to speak uh, <laughs> of a Packers podcast that literally produces content every day is pretty damn amazing. Kudos to you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, my mantra is to surround myself with as many smart people as possible. So it makes me look better and I'm succeeding so far. Uh, so I will give myself kudos for that. Uh, for those who are listening, do me a favor. If you are able to go to patreon.com cheeseheadtv TV and support cheesehead TV. Um, if you are able to go to Twitter, search for the Packaday podcast. And there you can find a link to support the Packaday podcast and support all those great people who are doing tremendous work. I would also be remiss not to mention that uh, Packer Report is running a huge 60% off special right now a yearly special. So make sure to check that out as well. If you cannot support financially, cool, no issues, no worries. I appreciate you nonetheless. Give us a like, tell a friend, write a positive review. All of that helps us out tremendously. So if you have a chance, go out and do that. I'd appreciate it greatly. Aaron, I can't tell you how much I appreciate and respect the work that you do. Thanks so much for your time today. To our listeners, make sure to check back tomorrow for Jake and Ross as they begin a brand new series here on the Packaday podcast. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!